Well, good morning. Thanks again so much for being here. Um, I'm from Texas, and so I'm learning the cabin culture of Minnesota, the holiday weekends and things kind of happen. People go other places. So, so we're so glad that you're here. Grateful that you're here. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Paul Johnson, is handing his oldest daughter away in marriage today. So you can pray for him. He probably needs it. Um, I texted him this morning and said, hey, soak up every moment. Just pay attention to right where you are. And he said, got it. So um, grateful for him and his leadership here. And we're glad that their family can celebrate in that way. We're in a series right now called Authentic Christianity. And so we're tracking verse by verse through the book of First John. And it's been a really powerful experience up to this point. And John is really just saying like, Hey, here's the thing. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what your life is to look like. These are ways that you know that you're a follower of Jesus. And so it has a lot of foundational feel to it. And I think there, in this passage that we'll be in today, there's some good words of warning for us. You know, in our culture with Facebook, especially on our phones, we're a scrolling culture. And it's easy for us to just like move on by things that we may not think are for us or that we've heard before. And John's really just giving us some warnings today and saying, hey, this is what your life is to look like. And this is how you know you're a follower of Jesus. And so I'm excited to jump into that passage. I want to share a story with you about 10 years ago or so. um, I was in a really frustrated place in my life. And I would have been characterized as being a bitter person for about a five or six month season and um, my career wasn't going the way that I wanted it to. I was working uh, in the printing industry and just didn't feel like things were happening. I wasn't sure that God had really seen me like, hello, uh, you know, these are the things that I want to do. God, where are you in this whole thing? And it was a very challenging time and I turned bitter and started to uh, speak with hateful words on a regular basis. So I wasn't loving my wife well. I wasn't loving Grace. We had one girl at the time very well. And the words that I was using were toxic. And I remember I had two friends within a couple of days of each other. I don't think they conspired. Maybe they did. I don't know. But they came to me and said, hey, you are in a really bitter place. And you really need to consider the path that you're on. And I I wasn't grateful at the time. I'm grateful now that they came to me and and said those words uh, just of warning and of caution. And that's where we find ourselves in this passage today. And I don't know about you and what you're feeling right now in the room. And perhaps you feel that way, that God's overlooked you or that you've tried to stack up all these good things and it's not resulting in what you'd hoped for or that you've had some circumstances that have been really detrimental to your heart and you're struggling to hold on to love and what that looks like. And so wherever you are in the mix, I just want to challenge you today to listen to these words from the scriptures for yourself easy for us to kind of go, you know, that's for this person, my spouse, or I wish somebody else had heard what it is that God's saying. But I just challenge you as we go through today to just to listen through the lens of your own eyes and what God has called you to. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, there's a hardback black one there in the seat back in front of you. We'd love for you to avail yourself of that. Uh, we want everybody to have a copy of the scriptures as well. So if you don't have a Bible of your own, we've got plenty of them at the Welcome Center, just out these doors and to the right after service. We'd love to give you one of those so that you have a copy of the scriptures for yourself. Let's read through the passage together. And the big idea for today is that we'd be people that are marked by love, so that we'd be marked by love. So let's jump in in verse 7. It says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. 
The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So I want to share five things with you out of this passage that speak to how we're to love each other and for what God desires from our life. And it shows that we're walking in the light. And as the connection from last week's passage, we left off in verse 6, Pastor Paul uh, covered verses 1 through 6 last week. And it says in verse 6 that if we're to abide in him, that we need to walk as Jesus walked. And so John's saying, like, hey, here's the thing, walk as Jesus walked. And now we're transitioning to him basically kind of giving us an understanding of how and what that's to look like and how we know that we're walking as he walked. And that word beloved at the outset of our passage today really speaks to uh, the tenderness of John's writings. And we know that he's writing to Christians. And so in your Bible, if you have a different version than the ESV, it might say, dear friends. So he's speaking to them with affection, and he's giving words of warning and guiding us well today as, as we move along. So a couple things to point out as we go forward is the new and old commandments thing. We'll cover that, and you may be kind of wondering, like, hey, that sounds like two different things. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then I just want you to listen for the very contrasting words that John uses. And so in both his gospel and in his letters, he uses like very heavy contrasting words. And so we'll see that as we go along. But let's jump into the old and new commandments piece. And so let's start with the old commandment in verse 7. He's saying that it's an old commandment in the sense that it's already established. And it was a command that was given from long ago. And so the people of God would have understood this. So let's look at that in a couple places. Leviticus 19 will be on the screen. Uh, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's already established. Then moving on to Deuteronomy 6, 5 is also on the screen there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That might sound familiar. So the old commandment that he's talking about is already established. It doesn't lack any weight, and it's been present. But then he moves on to say, no, it's also a new commandment as well. And I like how multiple commentators said that Jesus confirmed it, and he renewed it. So let's hear how he confirmed it. Matthew 22, maybe a familiar passage to some of us, verses 37 through 39. And he said to him, this is the coming together of the old commandments here. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he confirmed it. That's a powerful thing for us to consider. And that's what John was saying to, to God's people there, that it's already been confirmed. But he also renewed it. And I love this passage, John 13, 34 through 35. It says, a new commandment. Ha ha, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's a new commandment at the same time. And everything that Jesus did to affirm that with his own life, to live a perfect life of love, he's instituting that and saying it's a new commandment. R.C. Sproul says about this passage in verse 8, the phrase, from the beginning, refers to the beginning of the Christian movement in the life and teachings of Jesus 
And the coming of Jesus was a critical turning point, ushering in, I love this phrase, ushering in the dawning of a new day. So Jesus came to even show us a better way to love, that we're to love God and love others well. And so we just say yes to that as Christ followers. The first thing I want to say to you out of this passage today is that living a life of love is our identity. So flowing from verse 6, we know that if we're going to abide in him, we've got to love and walk as Jesus walked. And so we've got to walk in that, that that needs to be our identity. Uh, about 10 months or so ago, my wife and three girls and I moved from the great nation of Texas to Minnesota. And in so doing, I had to trade in my Texas driver's license and my identity as a Texan so that I could drive in Minnesota and get a Minnesota driver's license. And by the way, I didn't know if I was studying for an exam to get into a university or just to drive in Minnesota. I wasn't sure about that. And I was also perplexed that if we drive so slow here, why do all of the the studying have to take place for that test? It's confusing to me. But anyways, the big thing is that I had to give away what was my identification and pick up a new one because God has called us to live in Minnesota and to be here. And that's what John is saying, that we need to have an identity of love. And that should be true for us, that we're identified as Christ followers. Living a life of love should be our identity. It goes on to say it's true in him. And so I just wanted to pull a couple verses out of John's gospel in chapter 15. Why is it true in him or how is it true in him? Jesus said, as the father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. And moving a little bit further through that same chapter, greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. I love that. And then the ultimate picture of sacrifice, 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ suffered once for sinners, him the righteous for us, the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. The ultimate love shown to us, self-sacrificing love, that he would do that for us. It's true in him. What a great thing to consider. And he goes on to say, it's also true in you. It's true in us. Consider Matthew 5:16 it says in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to God who is in heaven. And so that that ought to be kind of an arresting thought for us because it's not just like wow what that person did was really nice or look at them they're pretty cool and how they've approached someone in relationship but it's like way bigger than that to say they'll see our good deeds the way that we love others and that they'll stop and give glory to God in heaven that there's something different about the way that we love and the way that we're to love each other it's a powerful thing so we live a life that gives glory to God the next thing that we see is that we are to reflect him in verse 8. It says in the latter part of that verse, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So the darkness passing away refers to when sin came into the world, what we know is there's destruction and sin and darkness. And Jesus came to usher in the true light. And so what we're experiencing um, since Jesus came, is that the true light is already shining. And so we're experiencing what will be ultimate true light, and all darkness will be passed away, and Christ has come. And we look forward with great expectation, expectancy, waiting for Christ to come back. It's something we long for as believers. Seminary president, Professor Danny Aiken says this. He has a really good commentary on First John. He says, John declares that this new commandment, a new age, has been established in which the darkness will eventually be banished from the earth. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come to destroy the darkness of sin and death and to inaugurate the kingdom of God, which is characterized by light and love. We're seeing that heavy in this passage today. In his earthly ministry, Jesus initiated this kingdom through his submission, 
and perfect obedience to the will of the Father. In his death and resurrection, the power of sin and death was broken and the kingdom was inaugurated. I love this last phrase. Catch this. The transformed lives of, of his followers provide infallible evidence of his victory. So that we're to be so identified and indelibly marked by love that it's evidence to the victory that Christ has purchased. And that we're walking examples of that in the way that we love. The other piece of that, and it's important for us to catch, is that we are, as his reflection, not light producers, but light reflectors. And so think moon and not sun. The sun's radiating the light, and we are just purely reflecting that. And so the love that we reflect is no less genuine, and the light that we pass on to others is no less real, because God means for us, through love, to pass that on to other people. And that's how we walk in love and care for one another. A handful of years ago, I was a part of this learning cohort with a group of about 15 pastors from all over the country. And we came together to learn a variety of things, small groups and how do we live on mission and those sorts of things. And it was just a great time to build relationships. And there was one guy in particular named Jason Diaz. He's a pastor in Reno, Nevada, of all places. And uh, he just had such a reflective love of Christ in him. In every interaction that I had, we became really good friends. And he just changed the room when he walked in, the way that he loved people. He listened well. He asked great questions. was so sincere and genuine. And he reflected Christ's love to the point where I just still think about that and how he lives his life. And I want to be that type of person. Many of you in this room are those types of people, and you know those types of people. And may that be true for us as people of Ridgewood Church. The next thing we see, uh, number three here, is to heed the warning signs. So there's, as I said, some very contrasting language, and he's giving us some warnings to see. Let's read verse 9 again together. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So the imagery there is really strong. And I just wanted to show this picture as well, that there's a piercingness to the light, but the darkness still has a real presence. And so John, in his contrasting language, really draws the line for us. So he's not saying, hey, like, how about 10% darkness, but 90% light is good? No, he really draws the line for us, that we don't have a foot to stand on to harbor bitterness to hold on to unforgiveness, to walk in ways where we gossip, murmur, and backbite, and have opinions and hold to mindsets about people. He just said that's not, there's not a place for that as followers of Christ. And so the contrasting language is really strong. A while back, I was in a conversation with somebody really close to me and sensed and saw some things that made me concerned theologically for this person. I love them dearly and wanted to address some things. And so Uh, I kind of stepped up to the plate when I had opportunity in conversation with them. And rather than loving and walking in humility and seeking to understand their perspective, I just kind of went on the attack and went way overboard um, and was more malicious than anything else with them. And my wife, who's so kind and gentle, uh, overheard the conversation later when we were separate from that conversation. She said, you blew that. Like, that was awful. And I knew in that moment that I wasn't walking in humility, and I had to go back to that person. And even in the midst of some things that I had real concern about, I was the one that was wrong in that place. And I needed to walk in humility and graciousness and prioritize relationship over just hammering home the truth. So yes, to speak in truth to people, but I'm remarkably stunned at how Jesus loved and even in correction, they knew his love for them. 
And we ought to know that as well, that even in correction, the way that we bring things to people ought to be in love. And I think sometimes we have so much of an agenda against our brothers and sisters in Christ that we end up bulldozing them in the name of truth rather than walking in love. And Christ gave us a path for that, to walk in love in relationship. So we need to heed the warning signs there we see. The fourth thing is that there's happiness to loving in the light in verse 10. So there's some weaving through of darkness and light in this passage. We're going back and forth as you see here. Let's read verse 10 together as we go along. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So this ought to be an exciting picture for us, that those that genuinely walk in the light, there's a couple things uh, that we see in this passage that we know that as we love our fellow believers and abide in, lo- in Christ and walk as he walked and love as he loved, that we, we see in John's Gospel in verse uh, 5 of chapter 15 that that person bears much fruit. So there's fruit to be had and fruit to be borne out in our life as we love. The other thing that we specifically see here in this passage is there's no cause for stumbling. And that ought to get our attention. The, the word stumbling in the original language in the New Testament speaks to a trap or a snare. And so it's saying that there's a clear path for the person that loves in the light and that loves well. And there's no cause for stumbling in them. And that I think a lot of us in this room just need to be affirmed today. That God knows and sees your heart, and he knows and sees your faithfulness. And we're so great at celebrating events in our culture, and not so good at celebrating the process. And just faithful day after day, obedient, loving of other people, and loving God and following what it is that he's called you to do. God knows that and sees that, and that's to be celebrated. And so there's happiness to loving in the light. I like one commentator sheds a little more perspective here on this passage, this verse. It says, uh, this does not mean that this person is sinless, but rather that in walking as Christ walked, he does not create an inner spiritual condition by which he can be snared into sin. Jesus said that all will know that we're his disciples by the way that we love each other. So there's happiness to, to walk in the light. There's one more thing as we go through here to see uh, if you grab your Bibles and, and put your eyes on uh, verse 11 here. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the flip side of the coin, the person that's walking in darkness is susceptible to being snared. And that just means a repetitive nature of sin and that there can be a downward spiral how many movies or books have we read where you can kind of see where the story's headed and you just want to yell at the TV screen or the movie screen and say, don't go down that road. You know, somebody's going into a dangerous situation. That's this person. They're just continuing down a path that leads to destruction. Another commentator says about this one author says a Christian who hates another believer has lost touch with the true light, which displays God's loving nature. So we've lost touch with the light if we continue to walk in darkness. Danny Aiken's words, again, just a few more here. He says, spiritual darkness is not a passive reality. It goes on the offensive. Darkness attacks those living in it, so they become increasingly trapped to the realm of confusion and blindness. Catch this phrase here. He says, in a real sense, what we do is what we become. How we live is who we are. The longer one remains in the realm of darkness, the more difficult it becomes to see the sin that's in one's life and the less likely one is to see his need to confess his sins so that fellowship with God can be restored. 
Habitual hatred leads to more hatred, and the possibility of loving becomes less and less likely. We really ought to be listening to that closely. And so, what about you? You know, I think many people hold to a subset of beliefs alone, and they think that that makes them something. But he just said that what we do is who we are. If we, if we, some people think if they value this sort of mindset or if I'm associated or give words to this political or denominational sect or um, stance, that just because we give words to that, that we're associated with that and that's who we are. But we know in the scriptures that that's not true, that we're to love greater than anything else. And so I just don't believe that Christ came to die and give his life for us to save us for a particular set of principles that we give mental assent to. But he's called us with a self-sacrificing, um, world-changing love that goes so far beyond, that builds community and doesn't tear it down. So right beliefs are important. Hear me on that. But it ought to guide us to a life of worship and love. Not just what we think, but what we do and how we act is what we believe. Let's see this first one more time. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So attacking leads to confusion. Confusion then leads to blindness. Blindness causes stumbling and stumbling causes division. God has given us as the local church a great mission to make disciples, to see people transformed and to see more worship happen. When the kingdom of God comes to a place, that's what's happening. That people go from worshiping their, themselves to worshiping the living God. And that's how God's kingdom expands as disciples are made and people become worshipers when they become followers of Jesus. And nothing pulls the emergency brake on that quite like Christians that are hating each other and not loving each other. That are gossiping and backbiting, fighting and holding grudges and unforgiveness. And God has given us such a great mission to be on that to have the sideways motion of all of that in our lives just as weighing us down as keeping us from the ultimate thing that God has for us. And just, oh, that we would examine ourselves as God's people and look for the things that we need to confess and give over to the Lord, that be, we would be people that love well. As I prepared for this message, uh, I asked the Lord, a dangerous prayer, to really work me over with this passage. And this week, I just, in a flippant way, made a comment about a group of people to some friends of mine, and I realized almost immediately that I just stepped way past what I'm talking about today. And the Lord really worked on me. I had to go back to that group of people and just say, you know what, I prioritize being funny way over being loving. And that's not what I want to be true about me. So I've had opportunity to allow this to really work in my life even this week. And so as we've seen in uh, chapter one in this passage throughout this series, that there's a value to confession and repentance. And God transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus every day when we walk in that cycle. As we see things in our lives, just as my friends came to me and said, hey, you've got to address this, you've got to look at this. Or as my wife lovingly said, you've got to solve this situation here. Opportunities for confession and repentance is what makes us more like Jesus. And so as we wrap our time here today, I just want to give uh, a little bit of space for that for us. That we can go before the Lord. I asked you at the outset to think through the lens of yourself. And so I'd love it if you would just bow your head and let's just consider what God would be doing in your life. 
so we don't need to be in a hurry. We can just sit here for just a minute and just want you to practically consider some things with your heads bowed. Just consider this for yourself. What places in your life do you need to confess and turn from? And will you even allow the Lord to come into those places? Sometimes that's the biggest first step is just to let our guard down. And as we've been going through this passage today, maybe you already know the thing that it is that God is working on your heart. And maybe you don't. And what's great is the Bible says that as his followers that we can hear his voice. And so just invite you to consider that and even ask him if nothing's coming to mind that you can just come to him and ask him for that. And I just want to ask, do you even know him as well? Have you so associated yourself because your grandmother was Baptist or your dad read the Ten Commandments to you as a kid and called yourself a Christian? Do you need to come to the Lord humbly and experience and be marked by love? So maybe you're dealing with a family member that you can't find common ground with and words have really gotten out of hand. Perhaps you're so entrenched these days with news and politics that you're constantly waging mental wars against people. And it's affecting the way that you are loving those that are close to you. Maybe you're stuck in patterns of thought or action that you need to lay down and posture yourself in a different and true and loving way. Or maybe you're hung up in the past, either from wanting it to be completely different and it's hard for you to let go and move on and you just need to tell the Lord that today. Or maybe you're looking at the past and just wishing things could go back to how they were and it's hard for you to move forward and love into the future. Wherever you are, let's just sit quietly for a minute and just ask God to speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would seal this time in our hearts and that you would work great changes in our midst and that if we need to go to somebody and confess that we would and that if we need to spend more time quietly considering what it is that you're doing in our life, that we would do that. And Lord, we know that you're the one that brings healing and you're the one that brings wholeness. And I just pray, Lord, that we wouldn't run past the work that you're doing and that we would have time to really walk in the way that Jesus walked and to love each other well. And so I thank you, God, for this church and for what you're working uh, in our hearts. And we ask that you would uh, continue to be honored in our worship as we close out the service here today. And we're so thankful for the ways that you have given us freedom and purchased that for us. In Jesus' great name, amen.